My name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Embers to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. I've found that it isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how we respond. Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. Today, I'm speaking with Robert Riappel. He is an international best-selling author, an app designer, entrepreneur, and trainer. He has spent the past 18 plus years traveling around the world sharing his passion. He has also shared the stage with and trained many of the top trainers and thought leaders in the world today. Um, should you want to learn more about him, if we don't cover it in this interview today, you can go to his website, robertreopel.com. I'll have it in the show notes. And uh, I'm sure we'll mention it a couple more times throughout this episode. But um, I want to get get right into it. Um, one of the things that I really want to discuss today is, is your book. But before we get into that, I'd like to get a sense of um, really what set you on the path that you're on now and maybe some of your influences growing up. Um, we talked earlier, you're, you're in Alberta, Canada. Uh, were you born and raised in Canada? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just feeling blessed to be on your, on your podcast, uh, Dave. And, and, you know, here's a cool thing. because You talk about influences growing up. One of the influences is someone who actually shares your name. That's my dad. His name is Dave as well. And so I love whenever I meet someone who has the same name and ask a question like that. And for me, yeah, born and raised in Canada. And when I was born, I was actually born in Virginia. But what's interesting is growing up, my parents always taught us that they'd say to me, Robert, you can do whatever you put your mind to. You can achieve whatever you want. And that's what they were saying to me. But what I was modeling from my parents is we were moving around a lot as kids because they, to support the family and keep working, we'd have to move from town to town. So I'm hearing I can do whatever I want, but what I'm modeling is do whatever you have to do. Even if you don't like the job, you do what you need to do to support your family. And so it was kind of two messages coming at me that were different. And so when we finally moved to Alberta, I was in grade four, and that was the first time we actually settled down in one place where I spent more than six months in one school. And that's when things started to get more um, solid for me, I guess you'll say. Because also now my mom and my dad got more permanent jobs. They were now doing better. You know, we didn't know we were poor. We didn't know, you know, hey, even when we moved to a little town called Red Deer, Alberta, which I live just outside right now, the area we lived in, I didn't realize was the wrong side of the tracks. To me, it was like, hey, we actually have a place that's kind of nicer than, you know, where we've lived. You know, in fact, my parents were living in a motel when I was born youngest of four kids and so this was like oh, there's kids here we're in townhouses we've got playground this is like magic and so growing up it was 
I didn't know what I didn't know, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then I, I think probably one of the biggest impacts of my life was in Canada, we have something called a cadet organization. It's like scouts, cubs, you know, stuff like that. And for our organization, it models the armed forces. So you have sea cadets or air cadets or army cadets. And I ended up joining sea cadets at a young age, uh, at 13, and just before 13, you can join, 13 to 19. And I'll tell you, it was one of the biggest impacts of my life because I learned um, skills, leadership, discipline. I learned and met some amazing people. In fact, that's where I met my wife. We, you know, we, we met when we were 13 and then through the cadets and then we started dating when we were 16 and we actually got married when we were 19 and we just celebrated our 32nd wedding anniversary. And so if it had not been for the influence and the cadet organization, I wouldn't have probably the, um, without a doubt, number one biggest impact influence person in my life. Because I'll tell you, David, me being born, I was born into a family of, you fit inside the box, you don't think outside the box, you don't question. And she came along and, and our running joke is, I was innocent until I met her. And then she corrupted me in so many amazing ways, like asking, why is that that way? Because she'd say, well, let's do this. And I'd be like, we can't. Why not? Well, that's just the way it's done. Okay, but don't you think there's another way we can do it? No, 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 no. This is the way it's done. But it's not working. I know, but this is the way it's done. That was me. And had she not had this influence on me, I wouldn't be doing what I do today. I'd actually be miserable. Miserable in a job, but feeling secure if I'm taking care of my family, if that makes sense. What you just said about the cadets, I've got something to show you. Hold on one second. I think you'll be able to see this. Order of the good time, Nova Scotia. Wow. So I was given this um, right after. So I was in the Sea Cadets in, uh, here in Florida. Um, I had aspirations to uh, go to the United States Naval Academy um, <laughs> and started off uh, in the Navy League at 11. And then at 13, I was able to transition into the Sea Cadets. And when I was 16... In Florida? In Florida. Yeah. See, and I thought, I didn't know you had that in Florida. I thought they were called, or in US, I thought they were called Sea Scouts because we had you know, met a few that we do exchanges. Okay. Oh, yeah. oh my goodness. We're about to have a conversation because I started Navy League at 10 and transitioned after being the chief of my corps, when I aged out and went into sea cadets. Wow, okay. So I, I actually did that exchange and went to Nova Scotia, uh, the, and I was on the, the base, I guess it's like the south end of Nova Scotia and got to do training with the Navy cadets, the sea cadets, and the army cadets. And it was, it was so cool. Yeah, just a whole nother world. And uh, right? Yeah. And, and you said you did that when you were 16. Yeah. And so you did you go to the Naval Academy or, or what happened? 
No, no. I ended up, um, I actually later that summer, it was actually shortly after I got back from Nova Scotia, I had a freak tennis accident and broke my leg really, really bad. I, I actually almost lost my leg and, uh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't go to the Naval Academy. I couldn't join the armed forces. And, uh, then in college, I was launched off of a tractor when I was taking care of the baseball fields. I was doing a work study program and, uh, I had screws in my tibia and that was really what prevented me from joining. And, uh, when I got launched off the fender of this tractor, one of the screws backed out and I had to go have surgery and get the screws removed. Well, that opened the door for me to join the Navy and I enlisted and, uh, and then it, it just wasn't meant to be when I was in a school, uh, I broke the same leg and was medically discharged. <laughs> And then became a firefighter. So, <laughs> <laughs> but see, and, and and this is the cool thing, and and because you and you're gonna freak out when I tell share a bit of my story on that, because allowing you then to become a firefighter, when you look back today and that 2020 vision, looking back, are you sorry you didn't go into the Navy, or are you thankful you didn't get into the Navy? No, everything that I experienced. You know, there there's some some good memories, some bad memories, but all in all, those experiences shaped how I handled later events. And yes, and yeah, uh, yeah. No, it was looking back with the 2020 vision. Uh, I'm thankful that everything happened the way it did. And, and see, and that's exactly, and that's what I want your listeners. The reason I wanted to go this way on it is because everybody, a lot of people have heard the saying, everything happens for a reason. And they're big believers in that. So am I. But what they don't realize is that's only half the statement. You see, the actual statement is everything happens for a reason. And that reason is there to serve me. And so when you look at it that way, now, instead of being frustrated, like, why did this happen? You can kind of go into the curiosity and say, why did this happen? And so as I'm going through Sea Cadets, I'm spending every summer at cadet camp, six to eight weeks down on the west coast of Canada. And when in 1985, I'm now 16 years of age. And I've actually, um, I find out while I'm at camp that there's a three month tour duty I can apply for on a Canadian Armed Forces ship. After I get home from camp during my grade 11 year, and I would have to take half the year off to do this. And so I got a hold of my, my commanding officer and applied for it because I was scheduled to go to Royal Roads, the Naval Academy and become an officer in the Navy. That was the um, road I was on. So my commanding officer, he put all the paperwork in. We found I got the last berth on the ship. There were six cadets allowed to go on the ship for three months. And I'll tell you, Dave, that was the best thing that could have happened to me at age 16. Because I did that three-month tour of duty on the ship. I hopped off the ship and I went, I don't want to be in the Navy. <laughs> mm. And in that moment, it wasn't that I didn't like the Navy, but I noticed a lifestyle. And I didn't want the lifestyle. 
And so at that moment, I made the decision, I'm not going to go to the Naval Academy. I'm not going to become an officer. And that's kind of what put me on the path of where I am today. So doing that 2020, I look back and I go, how different would my life have been had I been an officer in the Navy? And I watched both of my brothers go, one in the uh, armor division, the other in the Navy. And I watched their lives and I go, yep, I made a good decision. So I love the synergy that you and I have that kind of experience already. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretty crazy. It um, is. It's crazy. So one one thing, um, when I was reading about you, I I learned that you were an entrepreneur. You you retired fairly early, and that led you into doing the, the training that you do and the Correct. speaking engagements and all of that. Well, as an entrepreneur, was that like as an app designer? No, no, <laughs> no. Oh my goodness. I wish it was that, you know, exciting and, oh, you know, kind of. A, but um, when my wife and I got married here in Alberta, because we have oil, if oil prices are high, our economy does well. If oil prices are low, our economy sucks. Too much is tied to the oil industry. And in 1989, all of a sudden I'm laid off from the third company I've been working for. And I'm going, I'm working hard, I'm staying loyal but they were shutting the factory down. I was laid off and there was no work. I went out, I put the suit, the tie, the jacket on. I went look for that real job and I couldn't find anything. Now being newly married, I wanted to do something until I found the real job to support my family. So I just started delivering pizzas for Domino's Pizza. So that was pretty much out of necessity. Now, because I do have a good work ethic and I'm, I always show up and I, when I'm there, I, I give hundred percent. I was able then to become a manager um, a number of months later. My franchisee had sold his store and bought two more. So I moved and became a manager. When my wife was able to move up to the city, she became my assistant manager. And what did we do? We started working hard. We opened to close seven days a week. That's what we know to do. I'm still that in the box thinker. And it also we're now, and I don't know how much you know about Domino's Pizza, but you cannot just buy a franchise. You actually have to successfully manage a store for at least a year meeting a bunch of criteria. Once you do, then you're qualified to be a franchisee, which means they'll waive the upfront franchise fee. However, you still have to have money to buy or build a store. And so we're now qualified to be franchisees. And we find out that my franchisee has decided he's had enough of Domino's because when he traded his one store for two, he made a bad decision. And he's like, I'm out, I'm selling the stores. And we had been watching enough stores transition that we knew the first thing a new owner does when they come in is they fire the managers and bring their own team in. So I'm now in panic mode. And my wife and I, the conversations we're having is we need to talk to some of the other franchisees in the city and find a new job. And she looks at me and she goes, why would we do that? I'm like, because we know we're about to lose our jobs. We've got to find a new job. We need money. She goes, well, why don't we buy the store we're working in? And I look at her, I'm like, because we don't have any money. Hello. Right? And she, but my wife, again, remember I said, she's corrupted me in so many good ways. She goes, well, then why don't we learn how to do it? As a last resort, we could look at working for another franchisee, but why don't we look at buying the store? And we started learning how do you buy a business if you don't have money? And we made a lot of mistakes, Dave. Like as an example, someone come up and they say, you know, I, I think what you guys have going on is good. And I have finance people that do the financing. 
So I can connect you with someone that'll fund those store, that store for you. And, and, but my fee is a thousand dollars. You have to pay it up front and I'll get you a finance. Well, we pay him the money and money we didn't have. And next thing you know, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no one actually, I gave your information out. No one's interested. And we would learn what was working, what wasn't. And we'd learn what to say, what not to say. And we went through these stumbling blocks for about four months. Because I didn't, I'm about fall, be a worker, you know, find a loyal job. And so that I wanted to quit so many times, but my wife wouldn't let me. Thank goodness. And one day we're sitting in the bank talking to our branch manager who loved us because she'd helped us buy our first home. And we're talking to her and she's asking, how's it going on the search or to try and buy the, the, um, the store? And we're like, we're not having any luck. She goes, why? She says, if you talk to Grant, our business manager, and we're like, we, we've tried, we can't even get an appointment with them. Because back then, they, you had to know someone to kind of get that appointment with that, the business manager at the bank. And a tip to all of your listeners, keep great relationships with your banks. When you're a customer and you go up to a till, if you still do any physical transactions, be nice. If something's going wrong, don't just jump down people's throats. Keep great relations with your bank. You never know when it'll pay off. Because in that moment, she stood up and she goes, come with me. She literally took us by the hands, walked us across the um, bank, knocked on his door and said, Grant, I want you to meet Robert and Roxanne Riopel. These are great kids. They want to buy the Domino's pizza they're working in. Take care of them. And because of that introduction from his boss, he's like, come on in. And because we now knew what to say and what not to say, the next thing you know, he didn't fund the store for us. He actually funded both stores. We bought both stores with 100% financing from the bank. And we wow. became franchisees. And now I'll tell you, we knew how to run a store, but we didn't know how to run a business. Two totally different things. And so for the first couple of years, we struggled. And, and I'll tell you, because we were franchisees for nine years. And here was, our, here was our method of operation of thinking we were doing well. If there's money in the bank, we must be doing well. And, you know, again, we didn't know what we didn't know. When we finally, because it was, we'll take care of our own um, uh, accounting. So we didn't know, and we weren't doing it. We were so busy running the stores. We weren't taking the care of the accounting, all the things that need to be done. When we finally got caught up on everything a couple of years later, we looked back and we go, how did we not go bankrupt during those times? And, you know, I, I tell every business I start now, the first people on my team are good accountants because I know what I'm not good at. And where I went from the mindset of a good accountant is going to be too expensive to realizing an accountant that's good will save you more money than it ever costs you to have them. And so we started making pretty good money. We started doing well, but our inner blueprints, our inner mindset was set that we'd spend more money than we were earning. The more we made, the more we want to spend. And I bet Dave, you know, no one like that, right? You don't know anybody like that. Yeah, <laughs> and at the eight-year mark of being franchisees, we're actually over $150,000 in debt and going down quick. And that's when we were introduced to personal development. We walked into a three-day weekend that taught us why we were in debt, taught us to take ownership that we were the ones creating the debt. And I'll tell you, that was a hard pill to, spill, um, to, to swallow because it was always someone else's fault of why we're in debt. But the moment we started taking ownership, then 
we also learned what were things we could do to turn that around. And when my wife and I left that weekend, we did something that most people don't do. And here's the unfortunate statistic for North America. It's higher in other countries, but in North America, unfortunately, only 3% of people will actually use the knowledge that they've been given. 3%, that's it. See, in my book, Success Left a Clue, which you've been looking at, there's six steps to creating a life of your dreams. And step number three is take action. That's what so many people don't do. But we said, we're going to take this information, we're going to take these skills, we're going to take these steps, and we're going to put them into action. And because we did, we were able to go from being over $150,000 in debt to actually being retired completely, financially free, nine months later at the age of 32. Yeah, and that's what our mind said. It went, wow, because <laughs> we realized <laughs> if that information gave us that result, what would more learning do? And that's when we dove into learning because now we're in the entrepreneurial mindset. And during the next two and a half years, we learned from as many masters as we could. And a big thing, I'm, another thing I'm a big believer in, don't just learn one way. Don't just learn from one person. Learn from as many people as you can and, and take the nuggets of gold or the clues, as I call them, from those people. And that's when I found my passion. See, I realized that I wanted to be a trainer because if I could even help one person, I had changed so much in my mindset over that time in that two and a half year period of realizing that there was more that I was meant to do, more I was meant to be here on this planet for. And I realized if I could even help one person do what my wife and I had accomplished, go from being deep in debt to financially free, it would make it all worthwhile. And for the last 18 plus years, I've been blessed to travel all over the world and personally teach over half a million people in live audiences and live trainings on how to do that. And so, no, I'm, you know, the entrepreneur wasn't about being an app designer. That was when I wrote my book, I decided to design an app based on my book. And why did I write my book and why did I design the app? Because it's what I needed in my life. It wasn't even for a lot of other people, it was for me. But obviously we realized and again, this is for your listeners to understand. If there's something you struggle with in life or you've overcome, I guarantee you're not the only one. So can you help other people get through that? See, step number two in the book is find a mentor or someone to model from. And that comes in two phases. It's not just who can I learn from? Who can I model? Who can I get value from? At the same time, you ask yourself, who can I be a mentor for? Who can I model to? And of course, some people go, but Robert, I haven't accomplished anything. I haven't done anything. No, that's your mindset saying you haven't. Look at the pains that you've gone through. Look at what you've been able to overcome in your life and ask yourself, is there even one person I can maybe help get through that with less pain? And so I kind of went on a long-winded um, answer to your question, Dave, but I hope that's what you were kind of looking for was that kind of information. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that... That wasn't long-winded at all. That was an incredibly awesome explanation. And uh, and that kind of leads me into one of the things that I, I picked up on your book, uh, picked up on in your book was, well, and you even talk about it, the, uh, the secret and the laws of attraction and uh, 
I'm, I'm wondering if you could explain that to, to the audience and, um, and then maybe touch on one of the things that really stood out to me in your book, and that's uh, doubt the doubt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, if you look at universal quantum physics, everything in this universe is one thing, which is energy. And like attracts like. That's all law of attraction is. One like energy is attracted to another like energy, and they come together. It's actually called entrainment. When things entrain together, and so every word you speak sends out a specific vibration. Every thought sends out a specific vibration. And the reason people go, well, I don't believe in the law of attraction because it doesn't work for me, is they, they're, they're, what they're saying and what they're thinking end up being incongruent a lot. Or the actions they're taking, which sends out another vibration, is incongruent. And so what I've, in my studies of the law of attraction, I've realized there's kind of three real keys to law of attraction. See, law of attraction, think of like giving birth. And as, as men, we have to use our imagination on this, Dave. And all the men that are listening, use your imagination. Women will get this. They will. You know, that intention is like a baby growing inside of the womb. And when that intention comes out, like, ah, you know what? I want to be an international best-selling author. So we have that intention. We let it go. But when a baby's born, a baby's connected still to the mother by an umbilical cord. And what is the first thing that doctors do? They cut that umbilical cord. And what happens though, what most people do though, is they keep it attached. They take their intention and they, um, they now say, here's what I want to do. But all of a sudden it gets stuck in front of them. Like it's attached by an umbilical cord, which is attachment. It's got to happen in this amount of time. It's got to look like this. It's got to be done this way, or it's not what I wanted. So the first step of law of attraction is to let it go. You know, let's, let's think of Elsa from Frozen. Let it go, let it go. That's the only part of the song that I know, right? <laughs> you have to let it go. The second part, give it space. You, so even if we live to be 100 plus years, we are still a teeny little blip in the timeline of the universe. But look at how many people go, it's got to happen in a certain amount of time. You've got to give it a space. If you don't, it's becoming, you're encumbering it and not allowing the magic to happen. And then the third step, be open to how it comes back to you. You know, one of my, I love all types of music and I see the guitar in the background. So I'm guessing that you love music as well. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I love music. Yeah. Uh, love jazz. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, music, when you look at the lessons and songs and, and one of my favorite songs, cause I love all genres. And when I was really listening to country music a number of years ago, one of my favorite songs is Garth Brooks as a singer. A, he's just amazing, but his one song, some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. And so when you're open to how those what's going to come back to you. If you're so stuck that I want to be an international best-selling author, keep using that example. And if it doesn't come back and maybe you only get best-selling status in one country, you're like, or, you know, and, and you get frustrated. But if you're open to how things come back, that's where the real magic works. So I'll kind of take it back to an example. That third job I was laid off of, 
I started working in a factory when the factory opened. So I worked on the factory line and I was doing quality control. And from call, I, this, this company had factories all over North America, still does. And so my mind went, because I'm still that in the box, I'm looking for security. I could work for this company for 40 years. I could actually become my own general manager of my own factory. Now, looking back today, could you imagine me being a general manager of a factory? I'll tell you, it would be probably the most fun factory you've ever worked at because I love having fun, but I'd be miserable in that position. But that's where my mindset was. So I started working and I got promoted from the um, inside of the working in quality control to helping run the shipping and receiving department. And then from there, I got promoted into inside sales. So I was now lower management. So imagine my shock because I've got this 40 year that I'm going to work for them. Imagine my shock when I walk into um, the office one Monday morning after taking a week off, the general manager, and I still remember his name, Ron Humpting. He calls me into his office and he says, we're shutting the factory down. You were laid off as of Friday. And I'm like, why couldn't you tell me this before I went and spent money on a holiday? He's like, we didn't know. And that part didn't bug me, Dave, as much as what he did next. He then sat me down and started telling me everything I was doing wrong, that if I wanted success in my life, I had to change. And let me just say, I was not in the best space to be hearing that in that moment. And I kind of told him what I thought of him. But looking back, there's this hindsight 2020 again. Had he not laid me off, I would not have started driving for Domino's Pizza. Had I not started driving for Domino's Pizza, I would not have become a manager, would not have become a franchisee, would not have gone $150,000 in debt, which led me out of stress to personal development, which allowed me to get financially free, which allowed me to find my passion, which has allowed me the last 18 plus years to travel around the world impacting lives. Today, I look back and I go, thank you, Ron Humpting, for laying me off. See, that's why you be open to how it comes back to you because you never know how it's going to play out in your life. And so when you take those steps along the way, am I saying it's going to be easy? No, absolutely not. Do, success takes work. And this is where that doubt the doubt comes in is because one of the things that worked for me, because look, I am no different than anybody else. I have self-doubt. There's times where I have low self-esteem, don't believe in myself. This is why you surround yourself with amazing, and I'm gonna give you a terminology and I want your listeners to listen closely. Surround yourself with growth-minded people. I used to be a big believer that you surround yourself with like-minded people. Until last year, one of my mentors gave me a paradigm shift on that. He said, picture like this, you know, babe, you and I, we're in Florida, I meet up with you. And we decide we wanna to go to Disney World. So we go down to the bus stop to grab the bus to go to Disney World. And we see there's three other people at the bus stop waiting for the same bus. Well, in that moment, we're all of like mind. We're waiting for the bus to go to Disney World. So in that moment, our like minds are the same and that bus is only gonna take us to Disney World. It's not gonna make us successful, right? He said, what you wanna do is you wanna actually surround yourself with growth-minded people because a growth-minded person is a person that is not there to just support you when you're down and lift you back up or cheer you on when you're doing great. They're the ones that are going to be willing to have those tough conversations with you. 
why aren't you playing the big game? Why aren't you playing the guitar? You're good at it. Why aren't you playing more? You know, whatever it is, they're the ones that are being willing to have those tough conversations and even kick you in the ass when you need it. And thank goodness I have those people in my life because when it left to me, when doubt comes in, it can be paralyzing. And so the doubt to doubt is a little technique where all of a sudden you're having a downtime and you feel doubt coming in. The moment you notice it, that doubt's coming in, all of a sudden go, ah, and like, I caught you, I've identified it, and then turn it around on itself. Doubt why you're having that doubt. Uh, and, and I'll use the example of, I took three and a half years off of training because I got burnt out and went through medical problems, had to go through two back surgeries. So when I came out of training, all of a sudden I'm like doubting myself that I know how to still train because there's three years I haven't been training. And so if that was the one coming up, as soon as I noticed it, it could be, aha, why am I having this doubt? And then start doubting it. Start turning yourself back onto it. Well, what if I can't still train? And this is where growth-minded people come in. Because as an example, my wife noticed I was going through doubt. I'm getting ready for my first training after three and a half years. And she noticed something going on. And she goes, what's going on? And here's my response, nothing. And she's like, bull, what's going on? And I'm like, well, what if I don't have it anymore? She's like, pardon me? I said, it's been three and a half years since I've trained. What if I don't know how to train anymore? And she looks at me, she goes, are you done with that? I'm like, pardon me? She goes, are you done with that crap? She goes, what do you mean if you don't have it anymore? The moment you step back on stage, it's gonna be like you never left. See, she was my doubt the doubt person for me. And of course, she was right. The moment I stepped on stage, it was like I hadn't been gone for three and a half years. So if you notice you're going through doubt or friends are going through doubt, be the doubter of that doubt and watch how that can turn things around. Another thing that caught my eye in your book was um, when, you, when you are talking about the butterfly effect and you talk about it mm -hmm. in multiple places in your book. Can, can you touch on that a little bit? Because I, I think it's really, really interesting. Yeah, well, uh, it, it, it became a whole um, science behind it, right? And think about and movies, you know, Ashton Kutcher, you know, Butterfly Effect in the movie he was in. And so when all of a sudden you have, and it's, it stemmed from if a butterfly flaps its wings in Brazil, can it create a tornado in Texas? And so the way I utilize this is, you know, when, when it was discovered, all of a sudden, you've got weather being analyzed. Back in the day when computers, to what we have on our phone today, the same power of processing to have as we do on our phone now would take a warehouse of real-to-real -real computers because that's how much processing. And so when you're looking at Edward Lorenz and he's running this, these simulations and he's noticing because he's got it being drawn on a piece of paper, these black lines, each inch representing one day of weather patterns. Wanting to see if you can follow weather patterns and therefore predict what weather is going to do. And as he's doing these simulations, they would start to show patterns and start having these lines that were going consistent around and around and around and around. Well, one day he was running one of these simulations and all of a sudden the simulation, the computer crashed off. And when the computer crashed, he got frustrated and he's like, oh my goodness, now I've got to re-enter all the data, I got to redo it. And he'd been entering all the data in up to six decimal places. 
And so he decided to save time, instead of re-entering it all back in up to six decimal places, he would just round those numbers up to two, thinking that should make no difference. And he knew it was gonna take a few hours to run the simulation. So he got the simulation started and he went and had lunch, did, took care of other things. Now his original simulation when it crashed had, had these lines going around a circle. And, and for people who aren't, you know, that are just listening, vision, vision, visualize, get my mouth working, my finger going around in a circle in an oval from the bottom center of me to the top right of me. Just a nice little oval again and again and again. That's what he expected to see when he came back. But when he came back, he saw that it was actually starting in the same place, but instead of going up and to the right, the oval was now going up and to the left. And it was a totally different pattern. And that's why it's called the butterfly effect because it looked like the wings of a butterfly. And what he realized is that one little change could actually make a huge impact. And so the reason I brought this up in the book is because one of the things we do to hold ourselves back is we beat ourselves up. We are unmerciful in how we beat ourselves up. And there's that saying that said, if we had a friend that treats us like we treat ourselves, they would not be our friend for very long. But yet we take it from ourselves. And so what the reason I want people to understand is that even if your mind's going, I've tried that before, it didn't work. It's a waste of time. It doesn't work for me. A coach keeps telling me to do this, to do that if I want to have more success. Make one little adjustment in the way you do it. It could be an adjustment of your mindset. You know, I'm writing my new book right now called The Authority Key. And I talk about four phases of life people go through. And one of those phases is something called chaos. And one little adjustment that you do, even getting rid of a negative thought and replacing it with one that's a little more supportive could end up making all the difference in the world. Even if you've done something a hundred times before and it did not work. One little adjustment, that butterfly effect will kick in and can give you all the results that you've been looking for. Another thing that uh, I wanted to ask you about, um, it's towards the, the end of your book, uh, the why of how moving towards your success will keep you on track. So, you know, a lot of times, I mean, there's a lot of people that talk about the why and the bigger the why, the easier the how, right? right? Yeah. So I wanted to, I wanted to get your perspective on it. And, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, have, well, have you ever been overwhelmed before, Dave? Yeah, right yeah. <laughs> yeah. and and that's it. it it's one of the biggest things that probably stops people from creating the success that they really want in their life is they get overwhelmed and when you get overwhelmed the most natural reaction is to just stop to quit to start analyzing why is it not working and so what i teach people and, and let's go back to my example of um when i got laid off by ron humpty so here i am and you're, you've got a dream, a goal, a vision. And why people get overwhelmed is they think they're like a thousand steps ahead of themselves, trying to figure it out. How's it gonna be done? What do I have to, what's it gonna look like? You know, all the what if scenarios. And so they're overwhelmed because they're not present. They're a thousand steps ahead of themselves. And so having that big why is great, but if you're now a thousand steps ahead of yourself because you're trying to figure it all out, you may not take that first step. So what I teach people is when you have that goal, that vision, this is why I'm a big believer in vision boards. You put that vision in front of you, 
but then you start to break it down into tiny steps where what can I take as one step? And so if you're feeling overwhelmed and here I was, and I had this vision, I wanted to be a, um, the uh, general manager of my own factory. And I had it all planned out, I, you know, the journey, and I've been doing part of it. So when I went on that one little loop off of getting laid off, it messed it up, which is why the frustration, why the anger, why all that came in. But what happens is if you end up taking a deep breath in and you come back and you say, what's one step I can do right now to go in the direction of where I wanna be and you make it simple and then you take that step. Once you take the step, check in with yourself. How am I doing? I'm doing okay. Okay, what's my next step? And this is why the same success comes one step at a time. One of the things that's gonna happen is A, I love the quote that says, one step in the right direction is worth a thousand years of thinking about it, right? And so now one of the benefits is now at least you're moving towards your goal. Another benefit is if you're present taking one step at a time, well, I'm gonna turn it back to you again, Dave. Have you ever had a time where there was something you wanted so bad and maybe it took you a couple of years and you maybe finally accomplished it, but then all of a sudden you look back and it was like, well, that wasn't as exciting as I thought. And what did I just do for the last two to three years? I was so focused on this. I don't even really remember what happened in the last two or three years or why did my relationship go one direction? Why did my health go in the wrong direction? Have you ever had something like that happen in your life? Oh, yeah. See, when you're a thousand steps ahead of yourself, you're forgetting to enjoy the journey. You're forgetting to be present in here and now so that, you know, even if you don't achieve your goal, at least you can go, you know what? These last three, four years, what's, where are some amazing experiences I had? This is amazing because at least you had that journey. But when we're so far ahead of ourselves, only focused on the goal, when we're not present, we're not truly living, if that makes sense. You just touched on it. The the being present component and um, the, another part of your book. And I, I, I'm going to encourage everybody to go to your website and, and download it because like I picked up on, on so much in, in a very short period of time, it's very easy to read and just it, it, what an awesome book and it's free. Yeah, and, and that's what I want, but there is a caveat to that. And, and here's what I want your listeners to understand is because you had me on your show, if they go to robertrealpel.com, so just my name, R-O-B-E-R-T-R-I-O-P-E-L.com, nice and easy. If they go to that website, they're going to be able to download the digital version of Success Left a Clue as our gift for them listening to this um, episode. But the caveat is, as you've seen, it's not just a book that you read, go, that was nice, put it on the shelf and make it shelf help. That's not the intention. I wrote it as a workbook. And that's why, because again, step number three is take action. I have action steps all the way through. And I'll say, don't read any further until you've taken this action. And then the next chapter, I say, did you do the last action? If not, stop reading right now and go back and do the action. And the reason I do that is because people are creatures of habit. The only way they're going to get change is if they change their habits. So one of the reasons I am allowing people to download it as a gift is because I want it in more hands for people to change their lives. I want people to actually use it, not just read it. Yeah. Now, the, what I was going to touch on 
is the the being present component and you talk a little bit about um like let me make sure i i believe you were studying zen buddhism is that correct you you were i did at a, at I a, did retreat, a zen retreat right yeah. yeah i did a four-day zen retreat yeah and and uh just there was a, a funny little story. I was wondering if you'd share it about, uh, you know, the Zen master teaching you how to be present or what it means to be present. <laughs> oh, it, it was life changing for me. Um, yeah. First of all, for people who don't know me, picture me four days of not talking. If people who know me, they're going, there's no way. How did you do that? And so my wife and I were blessed. One of our mentors brought his Zen teacher to us and she did a four day retreat. And when, you know, I, I, I like to meditate, but to sit there for 20 minutes, arms crossed, legs crossed and going, oh, it just, in that, in that space, it was easy to do for the four days, easier. But my mind kept going, what happens when I go home? And at night, even though it was four days of silence, at night we were able to ask questions. And there was a, another woman in the group that asked a question that had been going around in my head like crazy. She said, Sherry, being here and doing the meditating and being present, it's easy. But when I got home, I've got family, I've got kids, I've got a busy life. I don't have 20 minutes to sit down and meditate to become present. And Sherry's answer blew me away and, and it was another paradigm shift. She said, look, being present or um, meditating simply means being present. So anything that you're doing in a daily basis where you're actually truly present in that moment, so you and I are having a conversation right now. I'm aware of everything going on around me, Dave, but I'm present with you. She said, anything that you're doing that you're totally present with, you're actually meditating. So my goal is in a daily basis is to see just how much I can meditate. So if you're driving your vehicle and you're actually truly focused on driving, you don't have, you're not trying to put makeup on, eat something, have a drink, but you're present with where you're at. And, and it's funny, you know, some countries, Oh my goodness, you want to talk about the greatest example of being present? First time I go to India, and every time I go to India, you, you have to be present driving because every millimeter inch of space is being filled up with vehicles. And if you're not present, you're getting hit. <laughs> you know, I, this is why actually one of the things I came up with is that success is actually like driving a car in India. And I use the acronym of CAR for what that means is in. India, if you want to be able to drive the C, you actually have to be confident. You have to be confident that you, because people are moving and the horn is not used to get upset. It's just like, I'm here, let you know I'm near you because they literally do come inches apart. You also have to have awareness. This is the present part. You have to be aware of what's going on around you in every moment, because if you're not, and all of a sudden you turn to the right or to the left, because and there's a vehicle there, you're going to hit them. And the R, you have to be able to respond. You have to be able to respond to what's going on because so many vehicles, people walking through the vehicles, it's just, you know, you, and that's just like success. Success is the exact same way. And so being present is a big part of that. So if you truly want to be present, so when I'm on stage in front of a thousand, hundreds and a thousand or more people, if someone's sharing, I will be present with them. And so in fact, I'm now meditating. So I'm now getting the best of both worlds. 
And so it's, it becomes a mindfulness awareness practice that I do in my daily life. You know, when we're done here, I'll be, one of the things I'll be doing this afternoon is I'll be mowing the lawn. We've got four acres. I'll be on the rider mower and I'll be present in that moment with what I'm doing. So I'll be meditating the whole time. And that's, you know, has changed my life right there. I was hoping you'd talk about the one-handed clap. <laughs> well, now that you've brought it up. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I go through those so many times. You know, and and if, if people are listening, I've got to give you the kind of description and visual. And a one-handed clap is an aha moment, like when you get something, when all of a sudden it's like, oh, now I understand. And the reason it's called the one-handed clap is picture I've got my hand in front of me my palms face towards my um, forehead and I lightly, lightly tap myself on the head and I go, aha. And that's a one-handed clap. That's those aha moments. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if there is something that you, you focus on the most in, in all the years of you doing your training, what is something that is present in every one of your your trainings that um you know is is important to your message wow to answer that it's the constant reminding of myself to just be me being authentic yeah i believe the greatest gift that anybody can give this planet is to be themselves because when you show up for who you are, one of two things is going to happen. Either people are going to like you or people won't like you. And the cool thing is if people like you for who you are, that's awesome. If people don't like you for who you are, that's awesome. <laughs> because with over 8 billion people on the planet, you're not going to be able to, if you're trying to please everybody and be who everybody else wants you to be, that's very tiring. But when you just be you and you show up, the people who like you for who you are, not who they think you should be, attracting them into your life is gonna be one of the greatest gifts that you'll ever receive. So when I'm on stage, when I'm in my day-to-day life, in every training, I'm just remind myself, be me. And it's easy, especially when you're in this kind of arena where promoters, um, partners, they'll be, no, Robert, I need you to do this. I need you to do this to get more sales. It's like, if it's not congruent with me, no not gonna happen. Because the moment I go incongruent and I'm not being authentic, my audience can smell it. They can sense it. They know something's going on. And so that's the one thing that's probably consistent in every one of my trainings is I show up for who I am and I have no control. And I let me be clear, I don't want any control of whether people like me, like my messages or not, because I have no control over that. We kind of, skimmed over or skipped um, something that I typically do and, and really get a, a sense of the, the people that have influenced you. And I mean, you mentioned your wife and uh, the, the guy that laid you off, but you know, there's um, uh, the name escapes me. The guy that wrote chicken soup for the soul that you met. Mark Victor Hansen. Yep. Yeah, Mark Victor Hansen. Um, you know, there there's so many great um, moments in your book that you share. 
And, and that was for me, one of those like, man, and I, I started kind of analyzing my past and how I got to where I am now. And maybe some of the people that have influenced me, I, I don't have the, uh, the same uh, celebrity um, uh, influences, you know, not, not at that level, but I would say that a lot of them are, are probably as profound. Well, and see, and, and that's something that you're touching on right there. And, and notice how what our mind does is exactly what you just did. You started comparing my influences to your influences. And your comparison went to what you don't have in your life. Now, thank goodness, and I appreciate that you then went, but they're just as powerful and just profound. Yes. See, one of the biggest things that I've learned that causes misery is when people compare their results to someone else's. And that's why I'm very adamant, never, ever, ever compare yourself to anybody else. We all do it. Look, I still do it. And this is one of the things for social media that uh, I love social media, but it's one of my frustrations. Because, you know, Dave, you're, probably, you're old enough to remember the old 45 LPs, right? Oh, yeah. And on, on one side was the number one hit, the song that everybody knew. And on the other side was a song that they hoped one day would get some traction, but it was usually not a very good song. And what happens with social media is our mind tends to look at other people's posts and all their greatest hits, their side A's. And they're like, oh my goodness, look how they're doing that amazing. And they're doing that. They've met this person, they've done this. But then the mind then goes and compares our side B of our life, the crap going on in our life to their greatest hits. And we wonder why we're miserable. And so the moment that we stop comparing ourselves to anybody else, Here's the comparison I want you to make. I want you to look at and say, you know, today, did I take one step towards one of my goals? And if the answer is yes, then go, awesome. Step number four in my book, celebrate that success. Celebrate it. The moment you quit comparing yourself to others and you start owning your greatness, whatever it is, that's when your life will soar. Do you think that I had access to all these big names when I began? Hell no. And, and, and look here, world-class people pleaser here, world-class, especially if I liked you, I was like that little puppy dog. <laughs> right? and, and people would go crazy because they'd be like, get away from me. But the moment it was like, here's who I am. Today, I'm still blown away by the people I tracked into my life. And I'll give you an example of that. I, in 2008, I did take a, a break, a hiatus, because I was burnt out, had not been taking care of my health, went through two back surgeries. And in 2009, a friend of mine said, look, I really need you to host this event. We got this big event. I need you to be the host. I've got all the greatest speakers in the world, but I need you to you know, hold the context and space of the room. And I'm like, who do you have? He says, well, we have the Dalai Lama coming. Oh, okay. <laughs> who else? Sir Richard Branson, F.W. de Klerk. And for those who don't know who that is, he was the president of South Africa that set Mandela free. Listening to this man was inspirational. Stephen Covey Sr., one of the last um, presentations he did before he passed away. And being the host, I'm getting to meet all these amazing people in the background, in the back green room. And I'm just blown away. And, 
And I am like the fan at the same time. And one of the gentlemen that was there that just nailed the audience, just lit them up, just did amazing, is a gentleman by the name of Vision Lakiani. And I, I, do you know who Vision Lakiani is? No. Heard of a company called Mind Belly? Yeah. You, and so if you haven't, I want you to look it up. I want you to check this out. So he just electrified the audience. And his company does basically inspirational meditation um, and then trainings. They've done it online for a lot of years now. Um, they do live events all over the world. They do a one month university where six, 700 of their students will go to a city that they've chosen for the um, year and they'll all book in for a month in Airbnbs and that. And they'll just learn from some of the top minds. They'll have common rooms where they can come together, collaborate, create. It, it's powerful. And so he just, this is 2009, he lit the room up. I'm in the green room and I'm just like, you were amazing. And we're talking, we're having a conversation and finally he stops me, he goes, you don't know who I am, do you? I'm like, sure, you're Michelle Lakiani, you've got my belly, your, your, your company's phenomenal, what does I follow it? And he goes, no, 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 no. He says, you don't know who I am in the sense that it's because of you, Robert, that I'm here today because you changed my life and you don't even know that, do you? And I'm like, pardon me? He goes, in 2008 in May, you did a three-day weekend in Malaysia. And I get it. You didn't know me because there, I was one of 4,800 students in the audience. He said, when I walked into that room, he said, I brought nine of my staff members. He said, my company, we were, had 15 staff. We were losing $15,000 US a month. I was stressed out. We walked into that room. I brought nine of my staff. I was going to leave on the first day. Because I'm like, they're just going to try and sell me something. But I stayed. He said, because of you. By the end of the weekend, you had changed my life so much. My mindset around money, around finances. He said, we changed everything in our business. That was May of 2008. By December of that same year, we had our first million dollar US month. We had made so much money. We paid all our debts off, bought all of our office space outright. And it's because of you. And now today, not even a year later after that, he says, we're doing 15, $20 million a year. He said, and it's because of you and you don't even know. And I had no idea, no idea. And the beautiful part about that, Dave, I don't have to know. See, when you're authentic and you're stepping into your greatness and being you, you don't need to know who you're impacting. When you make one little change in life, you're impacting people around you, whether you know it or not. And so your way of being authentic might inspire someone else to be authentic, then, then inspire someone else in their life to be authentic. See, that's the cool part, is I had no idea he, he'd even been in my audience. And today we're friends. And every time I'm in Malaysia, we get together, have dinner. I go through his offices. He called me one of his mentors. I hope that I'm thinking of this because you saying Mind Valley, I'm pretty certain that they have a YouTube channel or they create meditations. And that's so, one of the many things. Yep. One okay, of the many things. So they do. That's how I know that name then. You know, you mentioned the Dalai Lama and um, you know, I, I've spent uh, a lot of time, you know, I was, I was raised uh, Lutheran and then we kind of transitioned into the Baptist church and, I went to a Southern Baptist private school in 11th grade. And, you know, I, I ended up really um, 
Well, when I was in the Navy, a friend of mine introduced me to Nietzsche and Camus and Sartre and really existentialism. And then when I got out of the Navy, I continued studying philosophy and you know, I took some philosophy classes, but then I, I took some uh, courses on world religions and it opened my mind to so many things. And I ended up studying Buddhism for a little while. And uh, what I am, am really interested about now, some of the things that really resonate with me is Stoic philosophy. And what's incredible, and I'll, I'll get to my point in just a second, is that I was given a book about um, Taoism. And it kind of uh, compares Taoism and Confucianism and some of the teachings are also present in Christianity and Buddhism. And, and it struck me as there are these universal truths that spanned, that, that span mankind's history. And mm -hmm. I, um, I like that a lot of the th things that you talk about in your book are universal and it's not just like a, a shtick it's these are the things that work and it's yeah and i just uh i, I can't wait to um well my plan is i'm going to print it out and work through your book and really apply a lot of the lessons that you're well hopefully i'll apply all of them <laughs> you know the fact that you got to meet the dalai lama what an incredible human being and you can't plan that stuff no. you really can't but when you just be you and and you know there's a saying that says the opportunity favors the prepared and to me that's one of the biggest preparations you can make is just working on being you day-to-day -day, moment to moment and you'll be blown away by the opportunity that comes your way. See, there's opportunities coming to everybody, but a lot of people just don't see them or recognize them because they're so, so stuck being ahead of themselves. You know, what if, what if, what if, or so caught in the past going, this is what happened to me. This is not right. And, and reliving that over and over again, they forget to be present. But when you're present, all of a sudden you see what comes your way. So here's a question for you. And I, I don't know, um, if you address it in your book, but it's something that, that I'm working on right now. And I spent 23 years in the fire service and that was my identity. I, I'm no longer in the fire service and I'm now trying to figure out who in the world I am because <laughs> For so long, I identified as this firefighter, the yep. fire officer, a chief officer. Like I, I spent my, uh, you know, bulk of my adult life becoming this person that I thought was me. Mm -hmm. And so I, I was just, in order to be authentic, 
you have to be self-aware and know who you are. Yes. Work on you. That's, that's another one of my practices. Constantly working on me. The moment I think I know everything, Dave, I'm done. I'm done. So even though I, I'm blessed to train around the world, I'm still a student as much as I can. And you talk about um, in my timeline, if you look at my timeline in my life, one of the, you, you go through life and you've got your ups and downs, but then there's those times in your life where all of a sudden it's like, bing, it's a major change. And one of those was when I was still a student, I was able to attend a, a three-day intensive. At the time it was called the Enlightenment Intensive. And basically the, the way it was marketed is what a monk would go into a cave and spend 40 years to do of awareness, you'll be able to do in three days. And so in this three days, again, it was silence, but we would be in dyads 11 times a day for 40 minutes at a time. And in between the, you know, those dyads, we're doing walking contemplations, working contemplations, we're sleeping, we're eating in silence. But on those dyads, if you and I are sitting across from each other, I would look at you and you'd look at me and you, when it's your turn to ask me the question, you'd say, tell me who you are. And then I would sit there and I'd let that come in. And the first step is I would notice what's the first thing that comes to my mind. So maybe I asked you and you'd be like, first thing comes to your mind, I'm a firefighter. So then the second step is you intend to directly experience what that means, what that feels like, what is that? And then the third one, you express it. And so for however long it takes. So if I was to ask you and I'd say, tell me who you are. And then I just go in silence and I'm watching and holding the space. And you'd check in with yourself, catch that first thought. Maybe the first thought is I'm a firefighter. Then you directly experience what that means to be a firefighter. And then you're like, to express it, you might go, I'm a firefighter. I'm a person that saves lives. I go into buildings and whatever it is. And I let you talk as long as you want. When you're done, you'd say, complete. And then you'd say, you'd look at me and say, tell me who you are. And this goes back and forth for 40 minutes. And at some points, because at the beginning, it's the easy, what's at the top of your mind. But then all of a sudden, maybe your eighth time doing it during the day and, and you're sitting there and it might be, you might go tell me who you are. And I'll be like, oh, I asked this so So, okay, I got a directly experience what that means. And I might be like, my goddamn ass is sore. I can't believe we're sitting. And I might just go on a tirade. And then I'll let it all out. By the time, and what's cool is because my mindset, if it's called the enlightenment intensive, I got to have an enlightenment by the time I'm done. That expectation. And the teacher, he would sit at the end of the row. There was you know, a row down of all the dyads. And if you thought you had something, you'd go talk to him. You'd sit in front of him and he'd say, tell me who you are. And you'd give him an explanation. And, either nod yes or nod no and that could get frustrating because the one time i thought i did i'm in front of him and i'm just like Woo, ego i got it. and he looks at me and goes go back to your seat and that was my beginning of my learning to really introspect to who i am and what i came away with is i'm me that's simple this is me and but it took a lot of frustration to get to that and to remind myself that every once in a while, because even now it's, it's work. It's not like, oh, wow, you discovered it. Yay, all done. No, it's a constant work. And the cool part is, is I enjoy that work. Even though it frustrates me and frustrates other people when, you know, but it's, I can only be me, plain and simple. 
And, and when I started traveling around the world, it then now I look at other people differently, it taught me tolerance. That just because I'm in another culture, maybe they do things different than I do. Does that make them bad? Does it make them worse or better than me? Nope, they're just them. They've got their programming, that's who they are. Who am I to say who they should be or shouldn't be? And that's, you know, that tolerance has allowed me to just meet so many amazing people from all different walks of life, all different religions, all different upbringings and cultures. And it's pretty phenomenal. I love that. I can't thank you enough for spending this time with me and, and really taking me through all that you've taken me through. I knew it was going to be a great conversation when I kind of dug into who you are and, and what you teach and, and your message. And um, quite frankly, I, I wasn't expecting uh, to be affected the way that I have been. Um, this has been phenomenal. I really, really appreciate you coming on and talking with me. Um, My pleasure. Is, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you feel is important to, to leave the listeners with? Uh, you know, Dave, just from the questions you asked, we could probably go on for hours and hours. So <laughs> that may mean you may be having a second episode because I would love what I would love to be able to impart upon your um, listeners is my new work, which is like the four phases of life, the four currencies of life uh, and how to be seen as an authority in your life, no matter whether it's a job or a business, because it's not just the practical stuff as you've experienced in this interview. I like to go behind the scenes. I like to go deep with um, moving people forward, what holds them back. And so that's what I do with the four phases of life as an example, to help people instead of um, in, in resisting chaos, how to actually embrace it. And instead of how, instead of just living life, how to courageously allow life to live you. And that would be a whole other rabbit hole to go down in itself. So. <laughs> well, let's, let's definitely stay in touch. And I, Man, I would love to have a, another conversation with you. And um, this has been profound for me. So thank you again. And wow. for, for the listeners, I, I've got to encourage you, go to Robert's website, robertreappel.com. The, the website link will be in the show notes. Um, download his book. Do the work. Um, and you know, I believe that you've got some other resources. Uh, what is it? A, uh, what, is it a Facebook group? Yeah, I've got my Facebook fan page. So if they go to Facebook, just type my name in, they'll see Robert Realpel fan page and like my fan page and you'll be able to follow me. But there's the, the community that, um, you have established. I, I'm guessing it's for the people that are doing the work that you've laid out in your book. Ah, you know, that one's escaping me at the moment because it's, I would say, like my fan page, because we're probably going to create some new communities coming up. And okay. um, so I may not have kept that one going from when we printed the book originally. So what okay. I would suggest, yeah, like my fan page, um, I'll let people know, don't send me a friend request because unfortunately I can't accept any more friends on Facebook. They've got me maxed out. But if you do connect with on my fan page, look, if you send me a message on Messenger, I'm the one that responds to them. So 
uh, I love to answer questions and help people in any way I can. And so, yeah, just follow me that way. And definitely go to the robertreopel.com, download the book, start using it, start watching how you can have an impact on your life. And the book is me. I'm quirky. I don't have the best jokes, but it's me in the book format. I've just, cause I can only be me. Uh, if somebody listening wanted to bring you into their organization and, and have you as a speaker or a trainer, how would they set that up? Yeah, message me is one way. Um, also on my book um, webpage, which is successleftaclue.com, they have an about me and book Robert section on there where they can reach out to me. And absolutely, if they have a group they want me to talk to or and stuff like that, just reach out to me that way. Thank you so much, Robert. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Yeah, you too. And, you know, my heat wave, I know, is just a normal day for you in Florida. <laughs> but that's, and that's the beautiful thing, right? That's, the, that's a great example right there of how there's differences in perception, in climatized, your mindset, your every area of your life. So that's pretty cool. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please like and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Follow me on your favorite podcast platform and visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. My goal is and always will be to add value to as many people as possible. So if I can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, please connect with me via email or on one of my social media accounts linked on the homepage of my website. Remember, our failures don't define us unless we let them, and the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.